what? Head on out the doors. You got it. There you go. <laughs> what very obedient children just stood at the closed doors, did not. Ooh, y'all, this is one of those Sundays. I'm talking like we've 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 had to call people last minute for literally every part of what's going on, except uh, I'm, I'm doing. I actually prepared for the sermon. Uh, other than that, uh, so I am very appreciative that we. Um, that we are a community that we can call folks and they just say yes and show up and we don't miss a beat and uh, the band sounds great and the sound is working and the slides are going and there's someone to watch the kids and it is, it is all good. Um, with that said, at some point sound will probably go out halfway through the talk and, and again, we're just going to roll it because it's just that Sunday and that's what happens every once in a while. Um, but this is, this is Pentecost Sunday. This is the Sunday where uh, each year uh, churches around the world remember uh, the Spirit descending upon the first initial group of followers who were still figuring out what to do. Uh, the color is red. I actually, I actually dressed appropriately. Um, the rest of you will be more Christian next year. It's okay. Um, but, uh, <laughs> um, but that's why, that's why there's the red up here with the with the dove uh, pointing down. Uh, this is uh, this is really an important part of uh, the Christian calendar. And um, what we're doing as as we read through this in Acts two is we're remembering the story of when. What was at the time a relatively small group of followers, of disciples, and maybe about 120 people total, um, were compelled for the first time in a very practical way to go to begin to fulfill the great commission that was put before them. Uh, This story takes place probably about seven weeks or so after Jesus' crucifixion, uh, his death, his resurrection, and all that. Again, probably about 120 people or so are gathered together um, for one of the three major Jewish celebrations during the year, Shavuot or Pentecost. And in the Jewish uh, calendar, this was the celebration that, uh, you know, involves bringing your first fruits, and it's a lot, it's a big fun party, and it's about remembering and thanking God for when God gave the Torah uh, in general, and even more specifically, the Ten Commandments. Um, It is, uh, kind of commemorates when God kind of said, you are my people, and here's what I want from you, right? Um, and so it is. It honors the birth of God's people, um, which is kind of happening again in our story in the New Testament here. And while this is a new group, uh, a new kind of sect within Judaism, uh, worshiping Jesus as the Jewish Messiah and celebrating the Jewish holiday, um, and they're in this house and they're doing this together, and there isn't much about this scene that's unusual until it gets real weird. Uh, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And uh, let's go ahead and read through it again, uh, Acts chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 13. And um, we did have, uh, we had someone that jumped in to, as a reader, and it was a first time reading, and you did outstanding. Uh, but she came in, she said, I'm reading for Brittany, and I thought, I can't make her read all these weird names in Acts 2. If I, if I, if I knew her better, I would have tortured her just for my own delight. Uh, but, uh, so I let, you, I let her off the hook. Uh, you've already heard me kind of murder these names, but we'll, uh, we'll go through them again. Um, uh, here, here's what it is. Acts, Acts 2, word 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. That's the probably at most 120 uh, followers that, that were probably even existed at that point. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every people under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, 
are not all these who are speaking Galileans, and that is kind of a cut down. Galileans are not known for being the smartest group of people. Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. So you have this scene of just people gathered in a nice orderly fashion in a, in a, a place together, worshiping God and celebrating this important religious occasion. And then things go crazy. Wind is a good analogy for what happens here because it just messes everything up. And I don't know if you've been in them, but there are a few things as disruptive as a very strong wind. You could spend hours watching funny videos on YouTube of people's pop-up tents, kids' jumps, and beach umbrellas taking unintended flight for an unaccounted for wind. You could spend an equal amount of hours watching horrifying videos of the devastation caused by a tornado rolling through town. You could also uh, take some joy as I do when I do the lawn each week. You could be as unfortunate as to be a part of the community of ants that makes the bad decision to build their home on the edge between my grass and sidewalk, which I take a lot of pride in. I like that sharp edge. And I'm right in front of the school and people park in front of the house and they judge me, so I got to keep it up. You could be a part of that community of ants that makes the unfortunate decision to build their home between the edge of my grass and the sidewalk when I have a gas-powered leaf blower in my hand. And it is a devastating wind I put on them. I like to imagine an ant waking up 100 yards away and trying to figure out what's going on. Like you were sitting here one moment and then wake up in Kansas and don't know what's going on, right? A strong world, a wind turns your world upside down. How many of you were here during Katrina? bunch of you. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I grew up a, a few miles from the beach. I'd been through a bunch of hurricanes growing up, and they told us a, a big hurricane was coming, and we should be careful about it. And I remember saying to people, eh, I'm going to be okay. We're like 50-something miles inland here. I've never lived more than a few miles from the beach. I'm not worried about it. And we had done some things prepared. I'd given, some, given Sarah some instructions. I knew how to prepare for a hurricane. So we did what we were supposed to do, but I was not thinking about it. I was not thinking it would be a big deal. And we were watching the news, power still on, and we lived in a wooded lot out in Oak Grove, when the first oak tree, which was bigger than I could even get my arms around, came up by the roots in the front yard and shook the whole house when it hit. And that's when I had that oh no moment, Right? And that's also when Sarah went running to the other room and started filling the tubs, which I'd asked her to do like five hours earlier, but she didn't think it was a big deal. And she was suddenly realizing that we should have those tubs filled with water. Not that I judged her for it. <laughs> it was just her yelling, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, running across the house and turning on all the tubs, <laughs> which turns out didn't hold water. We didn't know that until about three hours later when all the water was gone. So it wouldn't have mattered anyways. But that was like the longest eight hours or nine hours, whatever it was, because we had like 90-mile-hour winds for eight or nine hours, if you weren't here. It was insane. We had 40-something trees down, four on our house. We just saw things falling like pickup sticks all around us. It was crazy. It messed up everything. 
If you were not here, you would not believe what it looked like driving through these avenues and around after that storm. A strong wind messes up everything, right? One of my favorite tidbits of the story, uh, kind of a gap, honestly, in the narrative, is that uh, as the scene is going, they start by they're sitting in a house together. They're all sitting in chairs in a house together. And then at some point, they're out in the community where everyone can hear them and is talking about them, talking in all these different languages. So somehow they go from being in the house to being outside in the public, and there's no explanation. They're in the house, then they're not. Now, I assume probably they all just filed out at some point uh, when they are moved by the Spirit. But having nothing there does leave room for the humorous to me image of a violent wind literally blowing everyone out of the house while they're jabbering away in languages they didn't previously know. God's own leaf blower to the church. In this foundational story of the Christian church, we see them first encountering this unruly wind that is the Holy Spirit. Facing the undeniable spirit of God, which can in itself be pretty destructive in all the good ways. Life as it has always been, worship as it has always been, religion as it has always been is not safe and will not remain untouched. It's all getting rearranged. The spirit is going to etch a sketch this whole thing. The wind is blowing and it's moving everyone And it's moving them in a particular direction. And that's what I really want to consider tonight. As opposed to getting into a a lengthy discussion about the Trinity and the Spirit and and all that comes with it. We have talked about that some in the last uh, few weeks. The Spirit is Advocate we talked about a couple weeks back. I want to consider the direction of this Pentecost miracle. Here's a perfectly lovely, devout, contained, private worship service that becomes a public proclamation in a hurry. Now, if we remember back, the writer of Acts previously quoted Jesus in Luke saying, and I didn't put this on the slide, James, so don't, you don't have to look for it, uh, but in Luke 24, 45 through 49, it says Jesus opens their minds to understand the scriptures and he says to them, thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And see, I am sending upon you what my Father promised. So stay here in the city till you have been clothed with power from on high. Jesus told them this was coming. Of course, they didn't know exactly what it meant. We told them this was covering, coming. And in other words, Jesus told them long ago that they will proclaim to all the nations. And yet we have not seen that from the disciples yet, right? They've mostly been inside with each other since the crucifixion. When Jesus visits them, Twice there in a locked room, once without Thomas and once with Thomas. Um, Seven weeks later, they're all in a house together worshiping. Apart from Peter's naked fishing that we talked about a couple weeks ago, they've pretty much not been out in public at all. And all that changes here. They're getting out, whether they like it or not. If nothing else, I think the entire book of Acts makes it abundantly clear that the Spirit of God moves people one way out the wind leaf blows people right out of their seats and out into the world there's no walls there is no staying home there is no staying comfortable yes we are one body we are a community and we have the deep privilege to love and care for each other as the church but this body has feet for a reason we move we move out we have said it often 
We as a church exist for the benefit of those who are not here. That doesn't mean that love for each other, care for each other, growth within the community isn't vital. It is. But our health, our growth, our depth of love is strengthened here to be invested out there. Right? We say it each week. We have taken this weird name that no one can spell or say that's terrible marketing. We've taken it as our name because of what it means. It is the church. And what the church literally means in the Greek is the called out ones. We don't get too comfortable in our seats. And where the Spirit's wind is blowing, you see a very specific direction for those who are present. They're moving out. We don't insulate. We don't create our own echo chambers. We don't segment ourselves off from everyone else to try and protect ourselves from them. We only get together to help each other, love each other, to bind each other's wounds, and then to send each other back out. Now, many of us, grew up in a church culture that preached us versus them. You could sum up almost every sermon I heard growing up as us versus them. But I contend that Jesus, the scriptures, and the spirit clearly indicate to us that it is not us versus them, it is us for them. That we don't choose to have enemies outside of our walls that we choose larger tables, not taller walls, that we choose selfless love, not selfish ambition, that we choose humble service over the grandiose building of our own kingdoms. We give ourselves to an out-of-control spirit that sends us out into the world. And why does that spirit send us out in the world? Because the spirit is for the world. Because the good news is really only good if it's good for everyone in every culture living every story, no matter how foreign they might be to us. It's not about us. And that's, I think, what so astounded those who were witnessing it that day. That's what gets someone to yell, they're drunk, in front of everyone else. It just doesn't make sense what's happening there. And some people are amazed, and some people just try to find any explanation. They've been drinking, they're drunk. Of course, that's a terrible explanation. Uh, that's not, definitely not what happens when you're drunk. I'm not asking anyone to give testimony right now. But I've seen enough people drink enough to know that you may begin to slur and become harder to understand in your own native language, but you don't instantly become perfectly fluent in other languages. You don't get a six-pack of Miller Lite in gym and then suddenly he can speak Portuguese. Calling them drunk may have gotten a laugh from some people who weren't sure what to do with the situation, but it's certainly not a good explanation. Because what they're doing there doesn't make sense. No one knows what to do with people who should stay within their walls, speaking the language that they all share, and then suddenly have them go out speaking in a way that invites everyone home, that incarnates in itself in other people's stories and in other people's cultures. No one does this. They must be drunk. They must be those kind of drunks. The kind of drunks that just hug everybody once they've had enough. They'll come back to reality soon. Because ultimately, we're all narcissists to some degree. We all believe it's about us, right? We tend to equate our culture with God, our culture with the proper faith. We say God loves the world, but we know God likes us best. Right? There is a severe lack of humility in the way we talk about these things and act on these things most of the time. 
It's hard for us to separate our world from God's world. Uh, I made the lovely drive up 49 a couple times in the last couple days to take uh, our daughter to grandpa camp for the week. The best camp that exists. And I drove by a restaurant, I think a catfish restaurant. It's safe to bet that that's what it was on 49. I think that's all they allow on 49. And there's a bunch of signs all across the front of it, and all of the signs had some combination of the cross and the American flag, usually draped around each other. And a lot of mixed wording and proclamations that would mix words from the Constitution with words from the Bible. Don't get me wrong, I'm very happy to be from this country, but this is some kind of weird Frankenstein stuff that we like to create. Right? It permanently ties the good news with our news, our place, our people. We're the center of this story. Somehow God is a character in the great American tale. Of course not. It has never been about us. The history of the world and the history of faith hasn't all been leading to us. In fact, what we claim to be good news is really only good news to the extent that it can be incarnate for everyone at all times in all places. The news is only good if it's good for everyone. The test is out there, not in here. Now again, I don't know about you, but I was raised to believe that Christianity was very much tied to my culture and very much about my private salvation and what happens to us in this place and really more particularly me in my heart. It's easy for religion to turn that direction. So it's significant that the first real act of this new church is to move the opposite way. The Spirit decides then and there to set the direction and the mission of the church. The Spirit decides to drive us into the public and to have us speak their languages. Because Christ's love is not bound by any one place or any one group of people. It is never intended to be private at all. Personal, sure. Private, never. This is all to be communal. It is all to be missional. It is all to be outward oriented. Doesn't mean we're not ever introspective or considered. These are both important but that is never the destination. Again, we are considered and introspective so that we might deepen in our love and grace for each other. We gather in this room each week so we might be better prepared to get blown out into this world and speak of God's love to every variety of person we encounter. We are called out. Don't get comfortable in the seats. The tongues of fire may have appeared over their heads, but its effect was to light a fire underneath them. Good news, God's spirit cannot be contained. The story of Acts shows time and time again when we figure out what the boundaries are, God's spirit just flies right on past him and pushes people with him. We can establish whatever walls we want. We can build whatever physical walls of our church. We can construct whatever theological boundaries we want or social norms. We can place clearly defined expectations on the creator of all things, but we don't get to make those decisions. And if we don't open the doors and let in some air, God might just blow the doors off the hinges and force us into a new language altogether. 
The very good news is that God is not limited by our imaginations or our expectations or our boundaries. God is bigger than that, and that is good news. And the good news is that a God that immense is also God who has invited little old us out into this world to see just how wild it can get. Let's pray.